Thank you so much, worship team. Um, I don't know about you guys. Um, I, I really like Christmas carols, but that song, this is the first year that I've actually heard that song, and I think that we've sung it as a church, and um, it's quickly becoming um, one of my favorite Christmas carols. And, and I think it's particularly, it, feels, it, it resonates particularly strongly this year, I think. Um, a lot about this Christmas Eve probably feels odd to you, different. Um, this place isn't decorated as beautifully as we would like to see it decorated. Although, as Matt reminded me, the band is the decoration up here. They've got their beautiful faces. Um, and, and by the way, it's wonderful to see so many people here playing as well, because you can't see this from home, but we've got a pretty, you can hear it, we've got a full band here, because we've only got three uh, musicians on stage, but we have a vocalist and a bass player down on the floor as well, probably outside the camera line. Um, so we get to worship uh, with a full band and with a, with a full, safely full room of people. And so although this Christmas Eve feels very different in some ways, and this is not the way we'd like to celebrate Christmas Eve, I think that this song we just sang captures something, captures something profound, that although the trappings might look different and the details might look different, we still get to do tonight what we need to do, and that is to come before the Lord as unfaithful, as broken, in some cases bitter, in some cases lonely, in some cases guilty and fearful. And we get to come to the Lord, and this no one can stop us from doing. We come to see what the Lord has done. That much we can do tonight. We can see with the eyes of our heart what the Lord has done. And so let's pray that the Lord would open up our eyes and dispel darkness so that we can see what he has done for us. Lord Jesus, come by your spirit. Push hard against darkness in our minds, in our hearts. Allow us to see with clear eyes the beauty of who you are to see the miraculous beauty of the incarnation and to revel, perhaps in a fresh way, over the gospel of Jesus Christ. To think that you would set aside glory, the comforts of heaven, O oh Jesus, for us. Help us to accept and receive and believe and rejoice in that. We ask it in your name. Amen. I think we all know what it feels like to be afraid of the dark. Um, in our home, at night, we leave the hallway light on for our little kids. And if we forget to leave the hallway light on, uh, Matias and Nella remind us quickly that they can't go to sleep until that light gets turned on. They feel safer. And I have to admit that, that I, even now, am not always comfortable in the dark. It's unsettling sometimes. I, I might get nervous because I, I don't know what lurks in the shadows, even in my own home. And it's been said that if you live in or, or near a major city like New York, it's never truly completely dark. We don't know what complete darkness feels like around here because of all the street lights and headlights and signs and homes and artificial lights everywhere, they, they light up the night sky, right? So that's partly why it's hard for us to see stars, depending on where you live. But I remember being in Namibia for the first time with some of you 
And after a few days of being in the capital, we, we left for the, the countryside. And on our first night out in the countryside, I thought, I have never seen darkness like this. The, 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 I could barely see my hand in front of my face. In fact, I want to I show you a photograph that some of you might be familiar with if you happen to be on this trip to Namibia. The stars shone so brightly on that night and every night because they were not competing with any other artificial lights. It was pitch black out there. In fact, on one of those nights, I could see a cloudy, hazy formation in the sky, and I thought it was clouds, and someone told me, that's not, those aren't clouds. It's, it's the Milky Way you're looking at with the naked eye, a galaxy of stars. Never seen it before. On that evening, in particular, we had a raging bonfire going on, and so it looks pretty bright there. That bonfire lit up the space all around us. But when that bonfire went out, the natural darkness was unlike anything I've ever experienced. E even if I strained my eyes, I couldn't see what was in front of me. I remember thinking, I've never not been able to see like this. And so you give it some time, and you think, my eyes are going to start adjusting to this. And they adjust slightly, but it's still darker than anything I'd ever experienced. In fact, at night, we would take a walk sometimes. We'd have to walk from the cabin over to the meeting hall. And if, if you happen to forget your flashlight, it could be a dangerous journey. At least it felt dangerous to me. Couldn't see where you're going. And you hear animals in the background. It makes it even a little scarier. And so you want to walk faster, but... You can't see where you're headed, and so you're afraid you might trip and fall. And thankfully, none of us were eaten by any beasts. But I did stub my toe really badly one night. And thankfully, Dr. Jessica O oh was there to take care of that, along with other injuries. It was, in a way, unsettling. It's such a peaceful place, so quiet, so serene, and yet unsettling at night. So that even if you really like that kind of setting, no one wants to live in that kind of darkness all day and all night. This contrast between light and darkness, it's a theme that runs through the entirety of the scriptures. And it's a theme that runs throughout the, the Christmas narrative. On the first pages of the Bible, the very first word that God speaks are, let there be light. He speaks light into the darkness. And then there was light for the first time. And then if you look at the very last chapter of the Bible in Revelation 22, verse 5, God says this, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. So in between Genesis and Revelation, there's lots of light and darkness. But in Genesis, we see light piercing the darkness for the first time. And then in Revelation, we see darkness dispelled forever and light overcomes perfectly and eternally. So I think that one good way for us to experience the Advent season is to focus on this truth right here. The light of God's presence has broken into the darkness. And one day, God's light will dispel all the darkness.
So, so the, the light of God's presence right now, his, the light of his power, the light of his, his glory, the light of his love, it has broken into the pitch black darkness and one day it will dispel all of darkness. One day the radiance of that bright light will cast out every last corner of darkness. And why do we need to hear that? Here's why we desperately need to hear that, because to one degree or another, we're all in the dark. We all experience darkness. Whether it's the darkness of grim temporary circumstances, or it's the darkness of loneliness, or the darkness of loss, of illness, the darkness of poverty, the darkness of addiction, the darkness of depression, of fear of broken relationships. And as if that were not enough, we have the deep darkness of our own sin. We all need the reminder that God's light has broken in now. And one day, the darkness will completely lift. I want to invite you to open up to the book of Isaiah, chapter 8. If you have a Bible in your hand, we're not going to project this, but if you have a Bible or if you have a device with a Bible app on it, Isaiah 8. These are words that were written by a prophet to a people who were in deep trouble. The, he's writing to the people of Israel, and their situation was dark. They are actively experiencing God's judgment because they love darkness. They love darkness in the form of immorality, um, in the form of idolatry. They, they oppressed and they exploited the poor. They, they dealt unjustly with the most vulnerable people around them, the weakest, the foreigner. They were unfaithful and they were disobedient to God. Those are all acts of darkness. And so as a result of those acts of darkness, they are plunged into deeper darkness. And they were desperate. They were fearful. And so here's what God says. This is the prophet Isaiah speaking through, God speaking through the prophet Isaiah in, in chapter 8, verse 11. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people saying, do not call conspiracy all the, that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. And he will, listen, become a sanctuary, a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. He's promising more darkness here. He's promising more pain, more judgment. 15, and many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Like you or me walking in the dark and not knowing where we're going, slamming our toes on the, the edge of the bed, falling downstairs, stumbling around and injuring ourselves, entrapping ourselves even. He says, this is what it's going to be like for my people, wandering in the darkness. And then in verse 22, we'll skip down to that verse. He says this, and they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick 
darkness. As they look around themselves to find some kind of solution, what they're going to find is more distress, more darkness, thrust into thick darkness. Isn't that vivid language? No one wants to be there. But I wonder if you have ever felt yourself thrust into thick darkness. Have you ever felt yourself thrust into the thick darkness of loss and fear and pain, depression or brokenness to the point where it's not just dark, there's a thickness to it. You feel like it's, it's, it's impenetrable on the one hand and it, it doesn't seem to have any end. There doesn't seem to be another side to this. It's just darkness and more darkness. But then there's this, in chapter 9, the very next chapter, there's this stunning word of contrast. It, it, it's a hopeful word. It's a famous Advent word. So, so let's read it. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. But, but, there's the contrast. There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. In the darkness, light has shone on them. And that word there, deep darkness, it's one word in Hebrew. And that, that word, is a, it's, it's a vivid word. It's a, it's a profound word. It, it's used in the book of Job. Seven times it's used in the book of Job. And, and that word for deep darkness is used usually to describe Job's dismal state. And at times, that, that word is used, it seems like it's used to describe death itself. Listen to what Job says when he's in the thick darkness. Are not my days few? Then cease and leave me alone. He's talking to God, leave me alone that I may find a little cheer before I go and I shall not return. Before I go to the land of darkness and deep shadow, the land of gloom like thick darkness, like deep shadow without any order. You see, Job is so overwhelmed by darkness, he's even thinking about the escape of death, that darkness. He was feeling himself sucked into pitch blackness. And so he uses this word, Salmaveth, deep darkness. But that's also the same word that King David uses in Psalm 23, in a, in a verse that, that many of you might know. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there it is, shadow of death, Salmaveth, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You see, David, like Job, knew what it was like to be in that place, that deep shadow of death, but he experienced it with a felt knowledge of the Lord there with him, as Job would come to experience too, and it changed everything. Because this darkness, in the moment, it feels impenetrable until, until the light of the Lord shines into it. And then darkness retreats. So back to Isaiah chapter 9, where he offers this word of hope. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. On them a light has shone. You see, their hope 
The people of Israel, and this goes for us, their hope was not that they could somehow find their way out of the darkness. Their hope was not that they could somehow find their way in the darkness and make do with the darkness. It wasn't like, hey, if you guys just get good enough at managing darkness, you'll be okay. No, the darkness was too heavy, too oppressive, pitch black. And the only hope for them was for a great light to penetrate through the darkness onto them. Like, like, like those searchlights that a rescue ship might blaze out into the ocean to look for and rescue drowning people. The blaze of that light that pierces the darkness and can even pierce not just through the darkness of, of, the, of the sky, but through the darkness of the ocean itself. That's what they needed. And that's what God says is going to break through so that you will see. You see, this is not a self-generated light. It, it's like that rescue light, that spotlight. It comes from outside the darkness and breaks into it. In fact, the last verse of this section in, in Isaiah eight and Isaiah nine, in verse seven, God explains that He's the one that's going to be shining this light. He says, "The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this." You see, He must do it. He must pierce the darkness. You can't fight your way out of it. Why am I saying this? I'm saying it because we all know darkness to one degree or another. And, and I've said it before. I'm going to say it. We, it's the, it's, there's so many varieties of darkness in this fallen world. And all of them have the power to overwhelm us on our own. The darkness of depression can kill us. The, the darkness of fear and loss and addiction and brokenness in our homes, of, of relational breakdown, it can overwhelm us if, if the light of the Lord does not break through. And so when we're in that dark place, I think that sometimes we respond in a couple of ways. We're in a place of darkness. One way we sometimes respond is, is we start to rage against the darkness. We start to fight it. And it's a, it's a healthy impulse, I suppose, right? Who wants to be in the dark? And so you fight and you hope that if you do the right thing, maybe just maybe you can break out of it. Like someone who's in a dark room and is fumbling for their, their phone light. Like, if I could just find that flashlight and turn it on, I'll be okay. Or if I could just get a fire started. And so you're scrambling, trying to create some light to no avail. Because they feel like if I, if I can generate some light in here, if I can make it happen, then I'll get some happiness. Then I'll get some peace. That's the way some of us respond. Others of us, we try that, and if it doesn't work, we try option two. We start to just settle in and get used to the darkness. It starts to feel like a comfortable blanket. Maybe we're just tired of raging. Or, or it's like the way someone shuts off the light in a room and it's immediately pitched back. And, and you think, I'll give it a few seconds. I'll start to be able to see again as my, my, my pupils start to adjust. You think, well, that's why I'll deal with the, the spiritual darkness in my life. I'll, I'll be okay. I'll deal with it. I'll get around. I'll make my way around here, feel my way around. And Isaiah 9 says, no, the only real hope for humans in darkness is this reality, that a light must come from outside. And it's the zeal of the Lord that will do this. Zeal for you, love for you, and love for the glory of his name that motivates God to do this. We need a light from outside. 
And here's the most stunning thing about this passage. This light that it's talking about, this darkness dispelling radiance, it's not just a force. It's not just a concept. It's a person. Because afterwards, Isaiah, after he says, a light has shone, later on in verse 6, he says what? For to us, a child is born. You see this light? It's a little baby boy. It was the beginnings of it. Light pierced the darkness in that boy who would grow to be a man, who would grow to be the lamb who was sacrificed for the sins of his people and overcame the darkest of enemies, death itself. Isaiah says, to us the son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Have you ever had in your life a wonderful counselor? It doesn't have to be, you know, a a certified counselor, any kind of counselor. Someone, it could be a therapist, or it could have been, it could have been your grandma, it could have been a friend, a wonderful counselor who, who listens and, and cares, patiently tries to understand you and, and speaks life-giving wisdom into your, into your life. Have, have you ever had a wonderful counselor like this? Well, this counselor, this wonderful counselor, he's the mighty God himself. He's a father unlike any father. filled with compassion and care and the power to protect you. He has the power to protect you even in the darkness. He's a father unlike any other. He's an everlasting father, which means he'll be your father forever and his resources as a father will never be spent. He'll always have more to give. Never exhausted. If you want peace, if you are in a place of darkness and you want peace, this is the prince of peace. That means that where he rules... There's peace. So that if he's ruling in you, in your mind, in your heart that feels so tumultuous, it feels so sorrowful, he can bring peace to your mind, to your heart, to your life, if he rules in all of those places. Isaiah is saying, this light has broken in. Jesus Christ is the light in the darkness for us now. So if you are stumbling in the dark, trying to make your way out of it. Or maybe you've just settled in, gotten used to it. You've surrendered yourself to the darkness. This is the way it's going to be, and eventually I'll die. He is able to radiate so powerfully that he can give you a sight that you've never had, a perspective, a renewed perspective and hope that you've never experienced. In the Gospel of John, The author, John, calls Jesus the light. In fact, he says things like this. The light has come into the world. That's Jesus. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Isn't that interesting? Light has, Jesus has come in and people say, I don't want the light. I don't want Jesus. Maybe you've been there. Maybe that's where you're at right now. I know I've been there. I don't want that light in my life. He has come into the world to rescue, and some of us, for some reason, love darkness. And you might say, I don't love darkness, I'm just stuck in the darkness. Okay, perhaps. But some of us have actually come to love the darkness, because some of us have gotten so used to it. We don't know anything else other than it. 
Others of us, we hate the darkness, but we can't imagine what life would be like without it. So we cling to it. And others, maybe, maybe, maybe we just don't trust that Jesus can really do anything about it. But whatever the complex causes might be, for one reason or another, many of us at one point or another will say, Jesus, I don't want the light. And instead of saying, rescue me, break in, shine your light everywhere in my life, nothing is off limits, please break through the darkness. I want out of this and you're the only way. That's what he's inviting us to do, to say to him. He was willing to take on darkness himself in its ultimate form. In the moment when Jesus Christ was crucified, he took ultimate darkness upon himself, plunged into it, and he did it to pay, to pay a penalty as punishment for all the acts of darkness perpetrated by you and me. All the things that we've done in the dark and have hoped that no one would find out about. He died to pay for it. And he was submerged into the pitch blackness for that. So that in the moment he died, Luke 23 says, there was darkness over the whole land while the sun's light had failed. Imagine the significance of that. Jesus, the light himself, being plunged into darkness, allowing himself to be overwhelmed by the darkness, symbolized, captured amazingly in the fact that the sun itself stopped shining. But this radiant savior broke out from the darkness. He rose again from the darkness of that tomb, from the darkness of death, and here is what he promises. Right now, he promises he can shine light into your darkness. The light of forgiveness, the light of a clean conscience, but also the light of wisdom and love and peace. He can do that now. And one day he will return to lift all the darkness once and for all. Apart from Jesus, life only gets more and more pitch black. Apart from him, apart from him, what awaits us, apart from him, what awaits you, is the permanent, horrifying darkness of death. Job described it when he said, the land of gloom, like thick darkness, like deep shadow without any order. I think that's Job's attempt at describing hell a darkness deeper than any of us can know. And you do not want that. You do not want that. But in Jesus, there is light now, the light of perfect acceptance with God. And get this, the light that he brings, it's, it's an empowering light. He can give you strength to fight depression, anxiety, addiction, to, to, to fight for your marriage. He can give you uh, the, the power to fight sin, so that you can stop stumbling around looking for other sources of help. Some of us, the year comes around, we start thinking, well, a new year, things will be better. With this new year coming in, it's gonna be like a, a, a burst of fresh air. It's gonna be new light in 2021. Is it really? A new year, a new president, 
a new vaccine? Is it really going to pierce the darkness the way we need light to pierce the darkness? All those things can help, perhaps, but none of it matters apart from the radiant power of Jesus to pierce the blackness. And when he returns, night will be no more, for the Lord God will be our light forever. Amen. New Hope, I'm going to invite you to stand with me. I'm going to invite you to read this passage that speaks of this one who is light. In Colossians 1, 15 through 20. This passage that points to the one who pierces the darkness and will one day dispel all darkness. This is who the, the baby worshipped in the manger truly is. Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might have preeminence. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth, in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to him.